Thank you for listening to this audio from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website, trinityspartanburg.com. For the reading of God's Word, let's turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, we'll read verses 10 through 14. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content In whatever circumstances I am, I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray as we come to your word that we ask you, because all fullness of wisdom and light is found in you, that you would mercifully enlighten us by your Holy Spirit in the true understanding of your word. Give us grace to receive it in true fear and humility. Father, feed us again, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So if you have your Bibles open and you're looking at them, take a look at verse 11 in that statement of the Apostle Paul there where he says, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. And it's just convicting to read, isn't it? I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. And so the first question we have to ask is this, what does it mean to be content or what is contentment? What is contentment? Well, to begin with a negative, here's what it's not. It is not having everything you want or being satisfied, satiated, right? Right? It's not having that, and so that leads to contentment. It's not being satiated, having all of your desires met. A man having everything he ever desired in the world should, uh, should come to this conclusion. All is vapor, right? If he had everything in the world he desired, his conclusion should be all is vapor if he's blessed with wisdom like Solomon. Solomon wrote, all things are wearisome. Man is not able to tell it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. And he repeated, uh, in the repeated refrain after Solomon refused to deny anything that his eyes or his heart desired after he sought after Uh, knowledge after he sought after pleasure, laughter, work, houses, vineyards, 
fruit trees, slaves, herds, silver and gold, many wives and many concubines. That repeated refrain that keeps popping up is all is vapor and striving after wind. Striving after wind, trying to catch the wind. He was satiated, right? Solomon was satiated. He went after everything his heart desired. He had the means to do so and did not find contentment at the end of the day. Merely having what you desire is not contentment. In fact, if you look at our text, the Apostle Paul had to learn contentment when he had prosperity, when he was filled with food and had an abundance. He still had to learn in the midst of all of that good blessing to learn contentment. Merely having those things did not lead to contentment. He had to have Contentment even in those circumstances. Thomas Watson gives a good picture of this when he writes, You who suck so liberally from the breasts of providence, be content. (laughs) Good image, right? Oh, wake up. So again, contentment is not having what you desire, Or being satiated. So what is contentment? Well, a little help from John Calvin. Calvin on his commentary in this portion of scripture says, Contentment is being satisfied with the lot which has been assigned to you by God. Being satisfied with the lot that has been assigned to you from God. Right? So it's it's God's work. It's what God has given you. It's that lot by which he has called you to live in. And it's being satisfied with that. Thomas Watson similarly says, Contentment is a sweet temper of spirit, whereby a Christian carries himself in an equal poise in every condition. So a sweet spirit where you can carry yourself in the same poise no matter what the circumstances might be around you. That's contentment, he says. So in my words, I would define contentment like this. Contentment is an inward disposition of the heart and mind, or the heart and head, the affections and thoughts, the feelings and the thinkings, by which we have a deep trust and joy in God's providence. A deep trust in it, but not just a deep trust, like acknowledging that this is God's providence and seeing it, but but joyfully accepting his providence in our lives. Now think about that. We learn from Scripture that nothing happens in this universe apart from the knowledge of God. Nothing. Not a hair falls from your head without God having ordained that. Okay? Uh, His providence... His providence... Right, you might be tempted to think that his providence is merely a foreknowledge of what will happen. But his providence is God's determining and ordaining in advance what comes to pass. It's not mere foreknowledge. It's the ordaining of that to fall out this way. God's providence is the reason you are here in this sanctuary this morning 
why you have a headache or why you don't have a headache, why you tripped getting out of the car this morning. Did anybody trip getting out of the car this morning? It's it'd be weird. Um, why you had surgery this past week. It, it, God has laid that out for you. Why you took so many, so many breaths this week. So back to the definition of contentment. Simply put, contentment is rejoicing in God's providence. That's what contentment is. And God's providence is comprehensive. Okay? It is to have an equal poise, as Watson put it, whether you have an abundance or suffer need, whether you are filled or are going hungry. Whether you live in humble means or whether you live in prosperity, because you know that what you have and where you are and what you are experiencing was caused by a loving, covenant-keeping, omniscient Father who works together all things for good to those who love Him and who orders all things, in the end, to the praise of His glory. Right? That's the end of all things, the praise of His glory. The providence of God has two glorious ends, your good and God's glory. Right? And don't forget about the last one, you selfish Christians. Right? God's, God's ordaining everything has more to do with Him than it does to do with you. Right? The greater of those two things, your good and God's glory, is undoubtedly God's glory. And those who have the Spirit living within them are more enthused by God's glory than they are even of their own good, or should be. But God does not make us choose, thankfully, our good or His glory. In His great kindness, that the path to His glory filling the heavens includes giving an eternal Sabbath rest and very good things to His children. And that will bring Him glory. So, do you begin to see what contentment is? It is certainly not having what you desire unless... What you desire is God's glory. Then it is, right? Contentment is to see God in everything that happens to you, right? A stent in the heart, a wreck on the highway, a promotion, a loss of job, a rotten piece of meat, a perfect sear on a medium rare steak. Right? A glass of dirty water, a glass of wine. A stubbed toe, a, a diseased immune system, a death, a birth, a closed womb, an open womb, a divorce suffered, a marriage begun, a thousand foot, a square foot apartment for a family of six, or a 35 hundred square foot house for a family of two, a 22 on the ACT, or a 32 on the ACT, a failed exam, or an aced exam, right? Now, consult the Westminster Confession of Faith to understand that this 
this idea of God's providence, right, that he, his decrees, that he has ordained everything that comes to pass, right, the sparrow that falls to the ground, right, he has ordained that. We, the confession of faith is helpful to point out that that decree of God, that providence of God is not an excuse for you not to exert yourself, and it is not a reason for you to excuse your sin, right? God uses secondary means to bring about his decrees and his will, and you are responsible to conform to God's revealed will. But for our purposes this morning, we should understand that contentment is the ability to stand back from our circumstances and revel in God's providential arrangement. Whatever that arrangement be, heavy or light, whether it's toward adversity or prosperity, whether it's toward mourning or toward rejoicing, right? It is the ability to look at your circumstances and properly ask, answer the question, who put me here? The answer is a wise and compassionate God who orders this world by his powerful providence to his own glory. That's the answer. The wisdom of God has put you where you are. Going back for a moment to what Calvin said, he often wrote and preached about accepting our station in life. Right? He's constantly coming back to that, you know, preaching that you should accept your station in life. And what he means by this is that you, through the art of divine contentment, don't need to aspire upward to rise through the ranks of this world. You need only accept that God has put you where you are currently and that you are meant to glorify God right there. Discontentment will fight against that, right? Discontentment will not allow that. Contentment makes us willing to accept our station in life, and that acceptance frees us to glorify God by our concerted effort in every situation. Okay, does that make sense? Calvin in his Institutes writes, We are God's. Let us therefore live for him and die for him. We are God's. Let his wisdom and will therefore rule our actions. We are God's. Let all the parts of our life accordingly strive toward him as our only lawful goal. Oh, how much that man has profited who having been taught that he is not his own, has taken away dominion and rule from his own reason that he may yield it to God. Right? Somebody who knows so deeply they've profited from the thought that, that, that we are God's, his possession. Right? That they, they can move from their own reason and yield even their reason to God. Now what works against your contentment? What works against our contentment? I think we could probably, if I opened up the floor, which I'm not going to do. Um, that's for Sunday school. 
We could come up with a number of, we could come up with a very long list of things that militate against our contentment or that lead us to discontentment. What part of God's providence is the most difficult for you to accept or to rejoice in? And, you know, it's different for each of us. Uh, The top of the list of things that I thought of was disease, pain, illness, Right? Those are very hard to accept in God's providence. We think that, that we, we find every excuse for it, that it is not God that's working in this. How many times have I told people that it's offensive to attribute disease in God's providence to diseases? And people have told me that. I'm like, I'd be lost if I didn't think that God had made me sick at times. I just want to lose my mind, right? How much better to accept it from a loving father who knows my frame, right? And so illness, disease, pain, those things for some of you are very hard to accept. And they lead you to discontentment. Um, For others, it's this. When you see other people succeed or prosper, out goes your contentment. It's gone. You see your friends rising up the ranks in the corporate blah, 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 and you're just like, okay. You see your friend's new truck, and you're suddenly discontent. You're like, how can that dork make that much money? And why I, the genius of the world, can't seem to put any money into my savings account? Right? So other people's success and prosperity really militates against your contentment at points. It's true of some of you, not for others. Some of you don't struggle with that. Um, poverty. What about poverty? Not having money to pay the bills. You're discontent. It, it, it just it, it causes you anxiety. It causes you to... Um, to be tempted in real ways to get money in ways that you shouldn't get it. Tempts, tempts you to rely on, on yourself rather than on God. And the pov- you know, everybody thinks they're, they're impoverished. The rich are always relative to the other richer, consider themselves to be poor, right? And so the theme of the, the, theme of the impoverished of their lives is, is envy and covetousness. That's the sin that those that are impoverished struggle with, and that is discontentment. What else militates against our contentment? Our failures. Our failures. You know, we just, we, we had high expectations for something, and we maybe did the work or maybe didn't do the work, and then we don't succeed, and then suddenly, like, life is a cosmic bummer. And you don't want to get out of bed in the morning. You're discontent. You're just not happy. Other thing, another thing, you, those times in your life when you um, lack self-control and you begin envying the wicked. 
You see the wicked, you see them prosper. You know, the Psalms talk about the fatness of their eyes and that they always seem to be comfortable and they never get sick. And, you know, and you begin to envy them and you're like, well, my, my life is terrible. Terrible compared to, you know, somebody who can finance shooting rockets to Mars. What about strained relationships that ever lead to discontentment in your life? This might be the most cosmic of all of the ones I mentioned. The strain between you and your wife. You know, the strain between your children and you. The strain with extended family, brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, grandmother, grandfather, whatever it may be. Friends, work relationships, those strain. We would almost give anything that the strain of all those relationships just faded away, right? And until it does, we're very discontent with where God has placed us. What about lost opportunities? All those opportunities that uh, you missed, all those trains you missed, Right? All those things that, that passed you by, all those decisions that you made in the past that led to um, where you are now, and, and it's just fueled your discontentment. Being nostalgic and thinking back, what if I had made this choice then rather than this choice that I'm now suffering in? And you just get content. You wish you could go back and, and change things, but is going... Is this idea of time travel and going back and change things, is that going to, does that really fit within the view of God's providence and accepting your station in life? No. What about the evils of the times, right? You look around, you just see the wickedness of, of uh, the world. You see what's celebrated. You, you wonder why, you know, why all of this promotion of that which will destroy people. And then, you know, at one point you're like, why all this promotion of why, you know, promotion of things that will destroy people and their souls. And then the next minute you're just indulging in it. Giving yourself to it in the same way. And all of that just leads to, to discontent. What about being reproached as a Christian? Do you enjoy that? You like it when people learn that you're a Christian and then immediately write you off as a simpleton? As an idiot? As somebody who doesn't understand philosophy and psychology and science? Does that lead to contentment, that reproach? And then others, I think something that militates against your contentment, you're just Bored. You're just bored with life. You know, it's just like uh, the same old, I do the same thing. I wake up, I have breakfast, I go to work, I eat lunch, I come home, we eat dinner, go to bed, wake up, eat breakfast. And you're just discontent. You know, you you want you want mountaintop experiences. You know, you want to live life abundantly, which means one thing, but not in this example. 
You know, you want to have a second home in Vail and ski. And then others, your discontentment comes on, your, your contentment is dashed to the ground when you just consider the inevitable prospect of death. When you see death coming, when you realize your mortality and you see it coming, and you have no grid to think about it truthfully, and you are then suddenly very discontent. Your life becomes worrying about the end of your days, and that and that only. I mean, what else would there be? That's a dozen things that I've thought of off the top of my head. I'm sure there would be others. Things that fight against our contentment. There are other things, they are unique to you, that work discontentment into your heart. Have you examined your heart? Have you taken the time to shine, you know, the light of God's providential promises and care in the dark discontent that seems to rule your hearts at times? Well, why would, what would you rather be, content or discontent? (laughs) I mean, contentment is its own reward. I mean, discontent is misery. And yet, how often it's our constant companion. I mean, would we rather enjoy God or moan about not enjoying this world? Would we rather, would we rather trust in God implicitly and follow Him wherever He takes us or grumble and complain all along the path? Quiet within and meditating on God's good or envying the wicked as they lie about their contentment, their supposed contentment, right? Happy in God or angry at God. Now, here's one of the big truths that you have to accept. If we would, if we were able to choose our own comforts, think about this. What uh, a hipster would say is we're having a thought experiment. Right? If we were able to choose our own comforts, we would almost without fail choose that which is harmful to us. We inevitably would choose that which is harmful to us. Think about it. We at times want to be in the place of God so we can choose our circumstances. I mean, what pride! That's astonishing pride. Omnipotent God who knows all things, you know, giving us what he's given to us, or us with very limited knowledge saying, you know what, I could probably make better choices than what I'm being given here, right? It's just, it's incredible pride. If we were able to do so, we would simply, uh, we would choose very poorly. The love of money, think about it, is the root of all kinds of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs, Scripture teaches. But how many of us, if we could flick a switch and drop a boatload of money into our bank accounts, would have the presence of mind to remember that verse and take warning? Now, we'd be like, well, that'd be very helpful. I mean, I'm going to spend that on my children's education. 
is very knowable. How many people have overlooked Scripture's command not to be unequally yoked to an unbeliever and choose to marry someone because they, they abhor their loneliness and not being careful to wait on the Lord, the rest of their marriage is worse, much worse than terrible loneliness. It's even lonelier. How many, if they could make a choice, would free themselves from any and all bodily pain. How many would? How many could possibly pass by that choice? Um, bodily pain, whether it comes from illness or from persecution, who could resist if it was in their power? But gone, if we made a certain choice, gone would be the power that the Holy Spirit describes through the Apostle Peter. Right, Since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. Because he who has suffered in the flesh has what? Ceased from sin. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. And we would choose just a, I want, I, I don't want to hurt. And remain under the power of sin and lust. Here's another truth we have to accept. God, in his infinite wisdom and knowledge of your specific heart, knows what is good for each one of us. And what is good for me is not what is good for you and vice versa. God knows you individually. Right? What you need at one time may not be what what's another of you needs at another time, right? Even with you, what you need at one time may not be what you need at another time. Apostle Paul had times of enjoying a full stomach and times of suffering hunger. In both, he learned contentment. The beloved Apostle John was able to recline on the chest of Jesus, right? The Apostle Peter was, uh, on the other hand, the Apostle Peter was questioned by Jesus about whether he loved him or not. Watson says this, One man desires health. God sees sickness is better for him. God will work spiritual health out of physical sickness by bringing the body of death into a consumption. Another man desires liberty. God sees bondage to be better for him. He will work his liberty by bondage. When his feet are bound, his heart will be most enlarged. Did we believe this? It would give a check to the sinful disputes of our heart. Shall I be discontented on that which is enacted by God's decree and ordered by his wise providence? Is this to be God's child or a rebel? Now think again of the Apostle Paul. He learned contentment. Whatsoever his circumstances, his contentment allowed him to enjoy God, and our enjoyment of God brings him glory, and his glory is his ultimate purpose. Right? Contentment, dear brothers and sisters, is the only thing worth having in this life. 
We may attempt to have other things thinking they would lead us to contentment. But contentment is the only thing that will allow us to not make ease of circumstances our contentment. Contentment is not to be found outside of our hearts and minds. Contentment is a gift of God to his children and he puts it in their hearts no matter what circumstances come, right? Which is all to say that the only real comfort we can have in this life comes by being content. Content. It comes by accepting our station, right? It comes by accepting our circumstances. It comes by accepting God's providential ordering of all things. And it goes beyond just acceptance. It goes into kind of actually being fascinated exactly where God has put you. Kind of being able to step back and say, okay, Lord, you've done this and let's see what it does to me. I accept this from you. And now I want to learn from you because I want to be like you, right? It's going through that process in our head. Contentment is certainly accepting God's providential ordering of all things. Contentment also comes when we consider the unfathomable riches we have by faith in our Savior Jesus Christ. Now think about that, okay? Would we really have a garage full of vintage vehicles instead of heaven? <laughs> Would we really have, you know, a peace with our families rather than treasure in heaven? Would we really rather have ease and position and respect in the few years of this life and never ever have the chance to eat of the fruit of that tree of life? Would we rather have freedom from inflation and not acquire the field that contains the hidden treasure, right? Would we, like the rich man, rather have our good things here and miss out on eternal comfort in the kingdom of Jesus Christ? Would we rather have friends now than receive that invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb where there will be unending feasting in the presence of the one who created all things. But don't answer too quickly. Our discontent answers those questions in a way that is really terrible. Our grumbling and complaining is just like Israel in the wilderness. They preferred the presence of garlic and leeks and meat to the Almighty God. Then, when they entered the Promised Land by God's grace, they wanted a king rather than the king. Then, when they had a temple and the presence of God dwelled in, you know, was dwelling in their midst, they wanted to worship the false gods of the nations around them because, well, it was, it was more fun it was more fleshly. Then, when the Messiah came, they desired to kill him rather than receive 
eternal life from him. And we're no better than Israelites. We're no better than that. We would choose foolish things rather than choosing God. How many of us, as we examine our hearts, would have been like Esau, who sold his own birthright for what? A meal. A single meal. How many of us would give anything to prosper, to gain clout, right? To have respect, to, to outthink and outperform others, to have back our dead in this life, to have new nerves and joints and immune systems. How many of us would give up the glory of heaven to have just a bit of relief now? I mean, and at this point, it's like, dear brothers and sisters, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O oh, take and seal it. Seal it, right? Seal it for thy courts above. So easy is the heart prone to wander. So easy, so minuscule a thing. Can you choose over God Almighty and eternal life in the presence of His Son? Does the devil tempt you with counterfeits, things that purport to lead to contentment but never deliver? Right? Does your flesh beg you and you give in? Right? Does, does the world assault you with its constant offers, its constant promises? I mean, we could say that our society is fueled, and economists probably have a term for this, but fueled by discontentment, right? That is everything in America. You're discontent, but I've got the key to solving your discontentment, right? And everybody becomes a, a seller of snake oil. Well, don't listen to any of those devils. Don't listen to your flesh. Don't listen to the world. Don't listen to the devil himself. Why do we think so lightly of what we have in Jesus Christ is the next question. Why do we think so lightly about what we've been given in Jesus Christ? Why is it easy to forget all the glorious promises of God? That he, the one who created all things, is our God. That he has taken pity on us like a father. Right? That he has transferred us from the domain of darkness and into the kingdom, the eternal kingdom of his beloved son. That he is for us and he will never leave us. That, he, that his resurrected son has gone ahead of us to prepare a place for us to live eternally. That all things will be made new in him and that the last enemy, even death itself, will be defeated, has been defeated in Christ. And you're safe. And your citizenship is in Zion. But I, God, I've got to have a spouse. I've got to have a boat. I've got to have a boat at least 18 feet long. And that requires a diesel truck to pull the boat. 
I must have my health. I've got to have promotions. I've got to have honor. You know, and, and if I don't get these things, well then to hell with heaven. I will have those things. King David, you know, he didn't struggle with finding contentment. He was just perfectly content his whole life, right? King David? King David. Well, King David, who did struggle to find contentment in the things of the world, found contentment, and he wrote a song about it. It's Psalm 16. And listen to these words. Listen to how it applies to contentment. Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good besides you. There's a key, right? No good besides God. As for the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who have bartered for another God will be multiplied. I shall not pour out their drink offerings of blood, nor will I take their names upon my lips. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. Nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. You know, and the writer of Hebrews struggled and found contentment as well by remembering the glorious riches in God. He he wrote, Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid, what will man do to me? Again, the Apostle Paul, writing to Timothy, challenges us to the core. He said this to Timothy, you remember what he said about contentment to Timothy, If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. Ouch. Food and covering. And again, in his letter to the Corinthians, there's another whack of the two by four over the head. Paul writes, Therefore I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. You have the Lord. You have the Lord, dear ones. You have the Lord. He is near. You have eternal life. You have 
an imperishable inheritance reserved for you in heaven. You have a knowledge of spiritual realities that transcends all the wisdom of men through all the ages. You have a remedy for your sin, the blood of Jesus Christ himself. You have a mediator that will not allow you to enter into the presence of that will now allow you to enter into the presence of an utterly holy God, you have a glorious future in the new Jerusalem where God himself will dwell with you. Contentment ought to follow. It just really ought to follow. And, And the only reason it doesn't is because those things you diminish and the things of the world you increase. If it does not get your minds on the providence of God and the power of God and the future with God, and, and when you, you know, it, when you properly learn those things, then contentment will be yours. Now, stealing from Thomas Watson a little bit here, he wrote the book on contentment if you want to read it. Um, here are some ways you can be content, just very quickly. Endure afflictions silently. Endure your afflictions silently. When you're afflicted, your temptation is to grumble and complain, not only to God, but to other people. Have a cheerful spirit. Have a cheerful spirit. I think this church is afflicted with not such a cheerful spirit. And I think it's afflicted because your pastor doesn't often have a cheerful spirit. And, and inevitably, church, don't be offended by this. Churches follow their leaders, right? And so if I were more cheerful, you would be more cheerful. And so I think that would help us to be content. But don't you dare come up to me and tell me to be cheerful. No, you may. Um, A thankful spirit. Have a thankful spirit. Thanksgiving is is the true acknowledgement of God's providence. That's what Thanksgiving is. That's why we love that holiday, right? It's because we're just saying, God, you've been so good to us. Um, Don't be thrown off by a new condition toward ease or hardship. Don't let it throw you off. Take stock, take a breath, pause, consider that God has brought this about, and don't freak out. Stay calm, remember God's providence, right? When some new situation comes about, and sometimes it's awfully quick when a new situation comes about, but stop in those moments and pray to God and ask Him to show Him your will and to teach you through these events. Don't try to get rid of your hardship by sinning. Right? Accept the hardship, and don't try to get out of it by sinful means. And then, finally, Watson says, have much heaven in your heart. That's where meditation, spiritual mindedness comes in. You really do have to read God's word and remind you about what your future is. There's a map laid out here for you. There are promises given to you, and if you don't have them in your mind, you're going to suck in your map from TikTok. Okay? 
And that's a terrible map. All right? So have much heaven in your heart. Watson said, You satisfy me more than the riches of foods. Spiritual things truly satisfy. The more that heaven is in us, the less earth that will content us. He who has once tasted the love of God, his thirst is much quenched toward earthly things. The joys of God's Spirit are heart-filling and heart-cheering joys. He who has these has heaven begun in him. And shall not we be content to be in heaven? Oh, get a heavenly heart. Seek those things which are above. Fly aloft in your affections. Thirst after the graces and comforts of the Spirit. The eagle which flies in the air does not fear the stinging of the serpent. The serpent creeps on his belly and stings only such creatures as creep upon the earth. Remember that image. You are that eagle flying above these because of the grace of God in your lives. And the serpent can't get to you. And so pray that God would give you contentment. Pray for me that I would be content. Pray that we would not be so tossed around by God's providence, but that we would rejoice in it fully. Contentment in this life is not impossible. It really isn't impossible. Remember what the Apostle Paul wrote, which is misquoted all the time to be applied to weightlifting. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In other words, you can be content. Yes, it seems remarkably impossible in this life. But, but not through Jesus Christ. You can be strengthened by him. As far off as it may seem to you, Christ's strength can lead you to contentment. Contentment. 